production. Gary Zukov is one of the world's greatest spiritual teachers. His wisdom conveys the most complex insights in language all can understand. Over and over, he challenges us to see the depth of our potential in the world and act on that awareness. His gentle presence, humour and wisdom have inspired millions to realise their soul's greatest potential. A master teacher and author of four consecutive New York Times bestsellers, Gary is dedicated to the unprecedented transformation of human consciousness, an entirely new threshold in the human experience. Gary says changing the world begins with the very personal process of changing yourself. The only place you can begin is where you are, and the only time you can begin is always now. In this heartfelt conversation, Gary and I traverse how to move away from fear and embody love, looking through the lens of gratitude and the power we all hold within us. The love and fear in you is the same love and fear in the world. So if you want to change it in the world, change it in you. Trying to change it in the world is pursuing external power. It's missing the point. The point is you are a powerful and creative, compassionate and loving spirit. You are not separate from the universe and the universe is not separate from anything. I'm Sarah Grimberg, and this is A Life of Greatness. Working as a podcast and radio producer, I have been fortunate enough to cross paths with many intriguing people who have had a profound impact on me. In this series, I share stories and experiences from the people who have brought inspiration to my life, and hopefully yours too. The wisdom and teachings in Gary Zukov's book, Seed of the Soul, profoundly changed my life forever. His newest book, Universal Human, is equally as remarkable. This is a powerful conversation that will leave you feeling uplifted, inspired and full of love. Sharing space with Gary was an absolute privilege. This man is truly one of our greatest living teachers. My hope is that Gary's words allow you to gain a deeper understanding of what lies beyond the veil of what we can see and connects you with a greater sense of truth that we all hold within us. This is part one of our two-part conversation. Gary Zukov, where does one start when it comes to you? You are one of the most remarkable human beings. Your work has pioneered the way for millions of people to better their lives and it has been monumental in shaping the beauty I have in my life. But where did it where did it all start for you? How did you become this extraordinary being of the light? Well... Um, I, I, w- I would say first, everything that I'll share with you and with the people who are listening are, are opinions that are not opinions. They're, they're ways that I've come to see life. And they've been helpful to me, and I hope they'll be helpful to you too. Uh, but I don't ask that you accept them, uh, just that you see if they can be helpful to you. So where did it start? Um, how did I become a being of the light? Well, I feel that everyone is a being of the light. However, not everyone is aware of that. And the thing that keeps them from being aware of it is fear. So fear to me means anger, jealousy, resentment, uh, 
feeling superior, feeling inferior, feeling righteous, all of those things keep you enclosed, encapsulated. And so if you want to get unencapsulated, it's necessary to see what's preventing you from doing that. And that process of becoming aware inside yourself through emotional awareness and the conscious use of your volition is a path to real power, authentic power. And I can say that now, and I couldn't, I wouldn't have been able to say it if I'd lived 40 years ago, because we have crossed a threshold. This is the main thing that I want to share with your listeners and your viewers and you, is that we are in the midst of a transformation, a shift in human consciousness that is epic and unprecedented. It has never happened before. Nothing like it has ever happened except the origin of our human species. So, the old consciousness is very familiar to everyone. The old consciousness is limited to the perceptions of the five senses, which you can see and hear and taste and touch and smell. And people in the old consciousness think the universe is this way. But people in the new consciousness have an, an awareness that is expanded beyond the five senses. That doesn't mean you don't have your five senses anymore. I know where I live and I drive a car. But as you see the world and participate in it, it's as though you're watching a black and white movie and as you're watching, it's suddenly changing into color. That's the new consciousness beginning to touch your life. The old consciousness, if you have that, people would think people thought they were minds and bodies. But if the new consciousness is becoming part of who you are, uh, you might have some thoughts now and then. Like, have you ever asked yourself, is it possible that I'm more than a mind and a body? Um, the old consciousness looks at the world around and says, it's random, it's chance. Mm. But the new consciousness sees the same world and people with it ask themselves, "Could this? I, I think this is meaningful in some way. What I'm seeing, what I'm encountering, what I'm experiencing. Maybe I can't put my finger on it, but this is not empty and it's not all chance. If you've ever had a thought like that, mm. the new consciousness is touching yours. Um, I, the only science class I ever took was in high school. And I was taught that the universe is dead. They call it inert. And that it's cold, merciless, random. And only that, nobody knows much about it, really. It's supposed to have started with a big bang and end with a prolonged whimper. But no one, not even the best physicists, have any idea what happened before the big bang. I mean, it's that unsatisfactory. But as you become a part of the new consciousness you begin to think of the universe in other ways. And maybe sometimes when you're looking at the Milky Way on a clear night, and it's so awesome. If you've ever had yes. a thought or a feeling, this is not dead. This is not inert. This is not just empty space open for us to go colonizing again, this time on Mars. This universe is alive and wise and compassionate. And if you've never thought about that, well, give it a thought and see how it makes you feel and compare that with the old way of looking at, at experience. 
So that's what I wanted to share, Sarah, is we are shifting. Mm. Our consciousness is shifting. This is not only things that you haven't ever thought before. This shift in consciousness is about what you can think, mm. what you're able to think about. And in the old consciousness, your five senses formed a single sensory system and its object of detection was physical reality. Now we're getting another sensory system. Yes. We're becoming multi-sensory. Yes. This shift is from five sensory to multi-sensory. And it's happening fast. Yes. Fast. It's happening within a few generations. From an evolutionary point of view, that's faster than a heartbeat, than an eye blink. So that's what I want to share with everyone. We are living in the most unique an exciting time it's ever been possible to be alive. Oh, Gary, that fills us with so much hope. And I absolutely do feel that. I, I'm, sometimes I wonder if it's, if it's a personal thing. And I, I feel that in my life, I've obviously awakened to this multi-sensory dimension and it has been the most, uh, the most beautiful, joyous, enlightened feeling that one one can feel when they know that life is is more than what you can what you can see but obviously you had your you have your amazing book seat of the soul which it's a life-changing book for millions upon millions of people and now you've decided that you're you have written this amazing book called universal human which is just again life-changing and it's it's that book that everyone needs to get a copy of i have been reading it over the last month or so and I was I was reading it, I was finishing reading it yesterday whilst I was writing questions and everyone's got things in their life that might not be going the way that they want or whatever and every every word in your book just gave me so much solace and grace and I, it just made me think so much about everything and love and fear are just two huge topics in it that we'll go into but I wanted to start off with a quote in your book, which you say, the soul does not age or die. It cannot be measured or weighed, yet it is real. It is immortal. Can you talk to us a bit about that? Oh, of course, of course. But if that language means anything to you at all, then you are becoming multisensory or you already are. And by the way, I don't want to give the impression that when you become multi-sensory, that everything is done, well, satisfied, finished, and and, everything, and you're going to be in love for the rest of your life, because that's not the case. Multi-sensory perception is not something you have to do to make happen. It's a gift from the universe. It's an expansion of your awareness. But multi-sensory people also get angry and jealous and resentful. Uh, and they don't always feel grateful or appreciative or caring or content. So an expanded awareness does not make you a loving person. It makes you a more aware person. And this new consciousness brings with it new potential. Uh, and this is the interesting part. One of those potentials is a new understanding of power. The old understanding of power was the ability to manipulate and to control, to get what you want, to get other people to give you what you want, or to force them to give you what you want. Well, that all sounds very familiar because our entire world, 
that we've inherited from five century humans is built on that. But now we're, we're, we're understanding and experiencing power as the alignment of your personality with your soul, as that part of yourself that longs for harmony and cooperation and sharing and reverence for life. And as you align yourself with that, you create authentic power. Now, here's the thing. In order to do that, you have to become aware of all of the parts of your personality that prevent you from doing that. Those are the parts that are angry and jealous and resentful and all the things that we talked about and more. And every addiction and obsession and compulsion. All of those are in the same uh, basket, call it. And we'll call that fear. And the other parts of your personality, those that are grateful and appreciative and content and patient and caring and in awe of the universe, they're in the same basket, another basket. And we'll call that basket love. Mm. So as you become multisensory, you experience both of these. You continue to. And you learn how to recognize the frightened parts of your personality because of the physical sensations you feel yes. in your body and the thoughts you're thinking. The sensations hurt, the thoughts are critical and judgmental. And when you act on that energy, you create painful consequences. Yeah. And when you act on the other energy, the loving energy, you also create consequences, but those consequences feel wonderful and they are constructive. Now, as you learn to make that distinction between love and fear in yourself, not in the world, in yourself, and while you are in the, the grip of fear, like anger or rage or jealousy or feeling like you want to kill someone or kill yourself or curl up into a ball and never get out of bed or any of those experiences of fear, while you're experiencing that, Reach for the healthiest part of your personality you can. The ones I've just mentioned. Think of a time when you felt gratitude. Think of a time when you were content. And if you can't, and that's common when you're encapsulated in a frightened part of your personality, just remember that it happened. And do your best to act from what you think that part would do. And that will move you in the direction of your soul. Mm -hmm. of aligning your personality with your soul. That's how you create authentic power. It's so true, Gary. I had to make a big decision in my life just in the last week or two and it was leaving something that was so amazing to go on my path that I'm on now, my you know kind of spiritual path to further the work that I'm doing. But it was a scary decision because not a lot of times do we leave something that's really good. We usually leave something when it's bad and it's like, oh, I'm so happy I've, I'm gone or whatever. But it was giving up good to move to something better or closing one door so other can others can open. And the last two nights since it's become more real, I told a few more people and all that stuff, I, I've been battling where my mind is like, you made the wrong decision. I don't know if what you've done is right. And that kind of fearful thoughts. And I was thinking of your book 
And I was like, go back into love, know that you're being guided by a higher power, know that you're following what your soul's personality wants to do or your your soul's mission is and, and have faith in that and feel those loving feelings. And from lying there kind of tossing and turning when I'm thinking these things to going back to what you talk about in your book, Universal Human, it's that shift that can happen, as you say, in seconds. In seconds, you can go from being so frightened and worried to doing those steps that you just spoke about and feeling feeling perfectly fine and knowing that you are okay and they're, that they're moving straight back into love. Yes. You s- and I, I understand what you say when you have second thoughts. Did I do the right thing? Look at what I gave up. Uh, I don't know if I did the right thing, but I want to suggest that you do know. You do know. Yeah. Uh, and that is what calls you. When you make decisions like that, you're moving in the direction of your soul. You're moving in a direction of health and sanity and groundedness and connection and creativity and vitality. And when you don't, you don't change. Yes. I was I was explaining that to people the other day about how, you know, to move into the unknown can be a very scary place. But if we're doing the same thing the whole time, we're constantly in the known. And when we're in the known, nothing shifts and people will say they're bored or why isn't their life changing? Things matter kind of moves matter and it's just very slow. But when we move into the unknown, we move into the field of all possibilities and it can be scary at times, but that's where we're the true beauty lies and where we can create from. Yes. It's only scary from the perspective of the frightened parts of your yeah. personality. The loving parts of your personality don't know fear. Yeah. And I don't mean that poetically. Think of when you're grateful for the world. Mm. Think of when you're content. Think of when you're appreciating something. Think of when you're in awe of the universe. Mm. There's no fear. Yes, that's so There's true. There's no fear. And so what I want to share again is the thought that your experiences do not come from the unchanging ground of your being. When you're depressed or when you're manic or when you're content or when you're grateful, they come from different parts of your personality. And you can choose which part of your personality you want to cultivate and which parts you want to move beyond the control of. That's creating authentic power. Gary, you say there is more to life than you can see. What made you in your life realise that? Oh, well, I think I was multisensory long before I thought I, before I, I, I knew what it was. For example, uh, I was at school, college, when my grandmother died, and she was my favourite. I think I was her favourite. And we used to have wonderful times together. And, and uh, she used to take me to um, the, the large, lovely dining room restaurant in this, not facility, big, beautiful building that she was living in. And afterwards, she'd come, she used to take me to meet all of her friends in the lobby. And it was a sea of gray hair. And she would hold me by the hand and she'd say, Gary, you remember Mrs. Rosenthal? And I said, you remember, you remember Sam uh, uh, Bernstein? Yeah. And if I didn't agree with her, she would jerk my hand down and she'd say, Psh, just like that. 
Well, I was at her funeral, and the rabbi was giving her eulogy, and he was facing an audience, and the family was in an alcove to one side, to his right. And we were looking at a closed-circuit television monitor. That was so new in those days. And it was funny to me that we were watching him in profile and watching him from head on. And I started to laugh. And Grandma Libby jerked my hand down and said, shh, just like that. She didn't want me, she wanted to enjoy her funeral. Oh my God. So I, of course, I, I didn't tell my folks because they were distraught. They loved her. They needed her. Love doesn't get distraught. Need gets very distraught. Mm. So I didn't tell them because they wouldn't. They, they think I was hallucinating or uh, it was wish fulfillment manifesting in my thoughts. But it wasn't. It was Grandma. <laughs> she was just telling me not to disturb her funeral, not to mess it up. So that was when I was maybe midway in college. Yes, that's so beautiful. But it really, it really came home when I was writing a book about physics, which was my first book, The Dancing Wooly Masters. And it was about quantum theory and relativity and other things for people who are not scientists like I, you know, I lay people, but who still want to know what is this thing called quantum mechanics. So yeah. I wrote a book for them. And that's because... I got invited to a meeting of physicists at the Lawrence Berkeley Laboratory as a guest. And I was so amazed at what they were speaking. They were speaking in English, in qualitative terms, not quantitative terms, mathematical terms. And I could understand what they were saying. And they were asking questions like, are we creating the reality that we're experimenting with? And I thought, oh, oh come on, that's what we talk about in the coffee shop in North Beach. But these are theoretical physicist. The chairman of the physics department at Berkeley down the hill was there. The senior theoretical physicist at LBL was there. So I went home and I knew that I wanted to explain this to other people. And I asked them for help and they, they said they would. They said, just get three things. Get it right. Get it historically, factually, and conceptually right. And so I sent them pages as I wrote them and they sent me back more pages with their notes than I sent them and I included them in the Dancing Wooly Masters and I started to write it and I immediately threw away the outline I made because it wasn't interesting once I started to write the energy went someplace else mm. than the outline so I always followed the energy and then after about six months I noticed that the chapters fit together really well and I thought how can this happen I didn't follow the outline I, I didn't follow any plan that I made but this is happening and that's when I began to realize a lot of things that I'd never seen before number one is that I wasn't creating alone it's impossible to create alone because it's impossible to, <laughs> to be alone so every creation is a co-creation. Mm. And I waited for the, I, I, I love this feeling of co-creating with, with, with what? What was it? I explained what was happening to me from, to a friend who was a Jungian psychologist and she said, oh Gary, you don't, don't, don't mess with that. You don't know what's, what you're dealing with. But I knew what I was dealing with and I wanted more of it. Yes. And 
that was my first introduction to um, non-physical reality. That was a real experience for me. Yeah. And not only that, uh, before I was writing this book, everything I did was for me. Me, 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 me. Um, I was experimenting with drugs, a lot of drugs. And uh, I was addicted to sex. And motorcycles were important in my life. Yeah. And everything was oriented toward me. This book I was writing was my first gift to life. No strings attached. I knew that I wasn't going to be involved in physics indefinitely. And I wanted to give what I was learning through the graciousness of these people who took me as a colleague and share it. And I did. I'd never written a book before. I'd never studied science before. I never liked science before. And I never and I couldn't do anything with mathematics. I still can't. And the book got a rave review, not just a nice review, not just a, you ought to read this review, a laudatory, full out, this is amazing, and it listed why by a well-known reviewer, and it took two-thirds of a large New York Times printed page the day that it came out. And it won the American Book Award for Science. Wow. Well, I'm saying all this because this was my introduction to non-physical reality, to non-physical guidance, and to authentic power. Because when I was working on this book, I was no longer um, worried about the monthly miracle of the rent. I was no longer wanting the things that I wanted in my life. I wanted to get back to this book. And I'd be in this wonderful energy for about five or six or seven days, and then it would leave. But then it would come back, and I began to see this rhythm, so it didn't bother me when it left. And when it came back, it was wonderful. And my friends would say, Gary, they noticed what I was doing. I wasn't doing the things I was doing before. I was writing a lot. I was reading a lot, a lot, a lot. And uh, looking at the notes that my friends in the fundamental physics group at LBL, Lawrence Berkeley Laboratory, were sending to me. And I tried to explain what I'm doing this way. I said, suppose that you go out to an island now and then, and it's gorgeous. And on this island is a friend, and you love being with this friend. And after a while, your friends start to tell you, Gary, you know, are, are you feeling okay every time we see you? You're going out to this island. <laughs> well, that's how, that's how it felt to write the book. Yeah. That was an experience of authentic power. Zero fear. Zero. Wow. And fulfillment and excitement and wanting to get back to the book. And I decided that this is how I wanted to live my life, the way this book was being written, spontaneously, joyfully, fearlessly, fulfilling. And that's been my intention ever since. And I've, I've, I can't say that I'm there all the time, uh, because as I mentioned, having multisensory perception doesn't mean yeah being in a loving part of your personality all the time. But when I'm not, that's when I apply my commitment and courage and compassion and conscious communication and action. And those are, those are 
sections of guidelines that we put on the website just for yes. a free tool. Come and come and take them. So that's the answer, Sarah, to how did this begin. But where does something begin and where does it end are arbitrary points. Yes. Our lives are not that simple. They are remarkable in every way. Let me give you an analogy. Please. I heard a story once about someone who went into a photographic gallery and saw a, paint, a picture he wanted and tried to talk the photographer down in price with this line of reasoning. He said to her, how long did it take you to take that picture? And she looked at him without blinking. <laughs> and she said, 30 years and three one-hundredths of a second. In other words, everything in her life came into that moment when that photo was taken. Yeah. A photo of an image of power and perfection. And she knew its value. Maybe she knew, I think, the value of her life, which, like the photo, was priceless. But, of course, she made her living selling photos. But she wasn't about to be talked down yeah. in any way by someone whose intention was greed mm. instead of appreciation for what she had done and what her life is. touched on something just then which I think is really interesting like the value of she knew the value of her life and I feel that a lot of people don't know the value of their life I mean in your book you talk about how the soul continues forever and it doesn't die when the body dies and and that life is obviously very precious but why do you think that so many people don't realize how every day every minute every interaction is so meaningful Fear. And the creation of authentic power is developing the ability to distinguish within yourself the difference between love and fear and choose love no matter what is happening inside of you or what is happening outside of you. Yes. What is happening inside may be jealousy, rage, grief, despair, mania. What is happening outside of you may be another 9-11 type event. But choosing love, no matter what is happening inside or outside, that's developing mastery. Yes. That's the creation of authentic power. And that's what we need to do now mm -hmm. in order to evolve. That's a major part of the new consciousness. We no longer evolve by surviving and survive by pursuing external power, manipulation and control. We evolve by growing spiritually and we grow spiritually by creating authentic power. Yes. You say in your book, Universal Human, when we choose compassion, we see compassion. Can you explain that to us? Oh, sure. Um, this has to do with the law of attraction. Mm. Now, the law of attraction doesn't mean that if you want a Ferrari, you keep imagining that and visualizing it and pretty soon one comes into your life because you've attracted it. Um, that's not my experience at all. Of um, That's my experience of need and feeling so bad about myself that I need a Ferrari to feel better about myself. Yes. And it never leads to joy or fulfillment. Maybe temporary happiness, but it's, it's transient. So the law of attraction 
simply means that energy attracts like energy. So if you, uh, like I was when I was in San Francisco, uh, arrogant, uh, intellectual, condescending, I would look at my colleagues or friends in the coffee houses that we used to go to there in North Beach, and they were just like me, arrogant, intellectual, condescending, talking down about other people and their theories. Well, now I love life. <laughs> I've come a little farther, a lot farther. And my life is now filled with people who love life, like you, mm. like the people who are listening to this podcast. That's the law of attraction. So that's what, I'm, that's what I mean when I say, if you want to change the world, do it where you can. Do it where you've got traction, the only place you've got traction, and that's in yourself. Yes. Because as you change yourself, you change every collective in which you participate, from your family to your town to your city to your state to your country to your gender to your ethnic group. But it's more than that. It's more than that, Sarah. It's not just what you contribute. It's what you are. It's your consciousness. Because as you become multisensory, eventually you begin to see the reality of something that you might have read. And that is that the love and fear in you is the same love and fear in the world. Mm. So if you want to change it in the world, change it in you. Trying to change it in the world is pursuing external power. Yes. It's missing the point. The point is you are a powerful and creative, compassionate and loving spirit. You are not separate from the universe and the universe is not separate from anything. Mm. Five sensory individuals um, dismiss that uh, or, or they're disdainful of it. Yes. They can't grasp and they feel it's ridiculous to say that internal transformation is the same as external transformation. And the intellect cannot comprehend that. But as you become, uh, as the new consciousness touches yours, multisensory perception, you also begin to see another way of perceiving and understanding. And that way is the higher order logic and understanding of the heart. The intellect will never understand these things, but the heart sees them. Mm. Just like the heart saw what you needed to do when you made a decision to leave something that was seemed, seemed good, but you knew it wasn't what you really wanted. Yes. And this is not new knowledge. What's new is that the entire human species in a few generations is transforming in its consciousness. According to the gospel, uh, according to Thomas, who uh, uh, was someone uh, that uh, appears in the Gnostic Gospels, which the church threw out, according to Thomas, Christ said this, if you do, if you give what you have to give, what you give will save you. If you do not give what you have to give, what you do not give will destroy you. Wow. 
What's new is that hundreds of millions of us are beginning to see that, to sense it, to feel it. You can feel the, cross, the corrosiveness. The, uh, they put your finger in the water, not to jump in with commitment, but just to test it. Say, so what would it be like to go back to what I was doing before and live the rest of my life that way? And you'll feel it. And then put your finger in the new water. And you'll feel that too. Yes. And you make a choice based on that. And trust is involved. Trust in the universe. Trust in you. Trust in the process of your life. Mm. It seems at times when people move from the old to the new, they're oscillating between two worlds. They get dragged in to the old world and find it hard to kind of move towards the new or something will happen in their life that brings them fear and you kind of feel like you've moved back a couple of steps. How does one, when they're in that situation, allow themselves to to continue in that multi-sensory, that multi-sensory way and not be pulled back to, to that 3D reality they're in before. Be gentle with yourself. Yeah. Um, recognize that a frightened part of your personality has been activated by a person, by an event, by something you read, by a thought that came to you. It's a part of your personality and you don't need to stay there. You don't need to believe it. I saw a bumper sticker once that said, don't believe everything you think. Yes. And it's true. Mm. It's true. Everything that you experience is determined by how you hold it. When you're looking through the eyes of gratitude, you see the same situation that previously terrified you. Before you thought, how can I live without this person? How can I live without money? What's going to happen to my child? When you see through the eyes of gratitude, you're seeing in this case of multisensory perception, which is becoming the case, from the impersonal perspective of the soul. And from that perspective, you um, entered a learning environment when you were born. In the East, they call it when, you, when your soul, an, an aspect of your soul incarnated. And you will stay in that learning environment until your soul goes home to non-physical reality. And then your personality, the one that bears your name and your birthday and your death day, will, will die. So from that perspective, you can begin to see the experiences of your life as compassionate gifts of the universe. Not all of them feel good, mm. but all of them are designed to do the same thing, to bring the consciousness of your soul into the awareness of your personality. And when fear ceases to scare you, it can't stay. Yeah. So, as you learn to experience your emotions fully as you can, never to repress or suppress or to deny an emotion, to feel the full impact of its pain in your body, and we wrote a book, Linda and I, called The Heart of the Soul, Emotional Awareness. It tells you how to do this. Then you know what it is you're challenging, how 
painful it is, how magnetically attractive it is. And then is when you can make the choice while you're feeling that to act from the healthiest part of your personality that you can or that you can imagine. Yeah. At that moment, you're creating authentic power. Wow. And as you do that again and again and again, you begin to move beyond the control of that part of your personality and more experiences or awarenesses or understanding of love start to come into your consciousness and you are on a spiritual path. And then someone will betray you or cheat you and wham, a frightened part of your personality roars up. They can't do that. I'm going to sue them. No, better yet, I'm going to... All of that, all of that rage, fury, uh, you feel again. That was your question. What do you do now? Mm. Are you slipping backward? No, you're not. In fact, as you begin to create authentic power and challenge frightened parts of your personality, more of the part that you're challenging comes into your awareness, like anger was a big part of my life. If it's yours, whatever yours is, as you challenge it, you'll find that it seems to be appearing more and more in your life. If it's anger, people will say things that irritate you, or, or people will do things that make you angry. And you think, I'm going in the wrong direction. I'm, I'm not only backslipping, I'm traveling the wrong way. That's not the case. Because when you challenge a frightened part of your personality, you invoke the universe, the support of the universe. And it brings more of that into your life mm. so that you can challenge it. Because that frightened part of your personality and every other is not an obstacle to your spiritual growth. It's an avenue. Yes. It's your soul, in a way, bringing your attention to what you need to heal in yourself in order to be able to give the gifts that you were born to give, to move into love, to create authentic power. That's all the same thing. Make sure you listen to part two of my conversation with Gary Zukov, which is available now where we talk about the meaning of hope, the universal law of cause and effect, and the power of intention. The real intention is love or fear. To create authentic power in your life, you need to recognize the difference between them. If you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, where we post videos and behind-the-scenes footage of each recording. You can also join my private Facebook group, Live Life Greatly, where we discuss the content in this episode and many more, as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To purchase my ebook, Finding Greatness, head to sarahgrimberg.com. And if you love what you heard, then we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. A Life of Greatness's executive producer is me, Sarah Grimberg. Audio producers Matt Curry and Nicola Sitch. Special thanks to Grant Tothill for bringing this dream to life. For more episodes, search a Life of Greatness podcast, download the new listener app now and listen for free. Listener.